You are listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about psychospiritual and psychosocial aspects of end-of-life care. And now, here's your host, Saul. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. I'm Saul Abema. Many of you know we started this podcast three years ago, just about a week before the pandemic kicked in. So we rarely have guests in studio. But I'm happy to have in the studio with me here, Chaplain Monique Jones. Welcome to the show. Hey, Saul. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. Could you give us a little background? Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Chicago. Um, well, excuse me, born and raised in Chicago. It's been half my life in um, Illinois and in Kansas. Yeah. So as, as a child living in Illinois and Kansas, what did you dream of becoming? Because I grew up in um, an abusive situation, um, I gravitated to um, things out of my context. So I grew up wanting to be a boxer because I did not want to be the victim of of abuse. And so that was one of the things that I always saw um, and connected with my father with. He loved sports and one of his favorite things was boxing. So I wanted to be a boxer to protect myself and to be able to protect um, others. And even as I share, I wanted um, you to understand that that a lot of what um, I experienced um, is so such a part of who I am. The outflow of what I do and who I am is because of who I've been. And so, even as a, as a child, one of the the earliest experiences is me being five years old um, when my mom. Um, is beaten by my dad unrecognizably. Um, it followed right before that I was sitting on the porch with with my dad. My aunt comes around the corner who's not allowed to visit us at all. Um, my mom's sibling, um, and she sees us, approaches, says she wants to see the family, but because my dad is on the porch with his friends and his testosterone is flowing, you know, he, you know, says a couple of expletives and it gets a little ugly and she pulls a gun. Long story short, um, my mom run and grab my mom. She calls, um, calms her down and, and walks her and talks her away. So once she talks her away, the moment she's around the corner, my dad beats her unrecognizably, beats my mom unrecognizably and asks us all to stand in front of her um, one by one, not with her face bloody or swollen, but her face bloody, ripped up and torn. Um, just really mauled. And of course, out of fear, all six of us, from the youngest to the oldest, we all say, we want to stay with you, Dad, out of fear of looking like Mom, even though we don't voice that fear. And so, but it's from that moment of crisis that I also hear God's voice, even though I heard it a little earlier before, even through a box of Cracker Jacks. But in this moment, I heard his voice saying, say no to your dad, because you're not just saying no to what he's doing, but you're saying no to the the motivations. Mm -hmm. And so there was this anchoring that I had a sense of, of in the midst of crisis, there was a way out or and and it was always through a deeper awareness of ourselves and how to connect so obviously that moment marked the person you would become Mm -hmm. absolutely also i realized number one that i had a voice um, and that my voice had impact and influence but i also recognized that in that moment i was able to recognize how to connect properly in the moment. Even though there was chaos and trauma and abuse around, there was another reality that that we needed to be called into. And there's a place of peace, a place of 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 speaking truth 
into the moment. Yeah. Now looking back, what would you have said to that five-year-old girl today? Wow. To not be afraid. Um, because I was afraid. I was nervous of saying no because I wanted to fit in and to own my sense of voice. Um, and I think that's exactly what I do when I'm walking into chaplaincy spaces or even when I went into behavioral health first. I walked into those spaces knowing that they mattered and it gave me the confidence to go in. You know, you speak about something really powerful, owning your voice. Mm -hmm. You know, I think um, many people in vulnerable positions feel like they have no voice. Mm -hmm. But even when you look at it, when we're talking about end of life situations, many times we do lose our voice because we lose our sense of self. Yeah. That this big diagnosis is now greater than who I am. Yes. Or or this um, election of hospice or this critical trauma situation that we lose our sense of identity and our sense of self. And even what we were talking about a little bit earlier, one thing that never erases no matter what happens to us in life the core of us never changes, yeah. but we lose that. And as chaplains, we get to raise back up the beauty and the value, both and not either or. So I'm not running from the trauma that you're in, but I'm calling in the midst of the trauma who you truly are. So we get to do both and not either or. Powerful stuff, but I want to go backwards. How did your journey to chaplaincy begin? Well, it first began um, in you know, just from childhood, having those traumatic situations, yeah. I was always looking for um, meaning and purpose that mattered. And so one of the, the things that I walked into is um, behavioral health. So my first job was in um, a behavioral health um, um, group home with kids, just wanting to touch them and care for them and let them know that they mattered. And from there went to behavioral health and in behavioral health settings was able to get in, walk into their crisis because I understood in my crisis, wondering where I was and not knowing how to have those parental authorities. I I had to walk through what it meant to be anchored in my own sense of, of my own emotions, my own self-awareness, having ways to problem solve and coping skills. I had to develop all those things for myself yeah. and realize when I developed that, I was able to give that to the children and, and or even in behavioral health settings. But there was a spiritual piece missing, that piece that I knew that was in God um, to, to tell me about my meaning and my belonging. And, and so I reached out um, in my church community and, and ultimately um, went to seminary and, and got training there. And in the midst of CPE, stepped into who I already was because CPE asks you to look at your own background, look at your own tendencies and traits and patterns of how you connect with yourself. Yeah. And then recognizing how you connect with yourself is exactly how you're going to create connect and relate to others. Yes. But because I was um, walking through my own crisis and traumas and fears and, and, and abuse, physical abuse and the anxieties and the fears that went with that, I was able to sense those same things when people were in their own crisis. I could go in and I could ask them about, you know, I, you, you look troubled. Put that 
put put what you're feeling to words. I'm seeing something on your face. Yeah. Can you tell me that in words? And then they start talking and then they're bursting into tears. And I'm like, yeah. And allowing <laughs> that moment to come because I walked in because they got shot or walked in because they had a, a physical crisis, but I was able to touch them spiritually. Yeah. That's really powerful. With that, we'll take a little break and we'll be right back. Continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual care at the end of life, Hospice Chaplaincy provides high-quality professional development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. Check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com. I'm Sol Ebem, and we continue our conversation with Monique Jones. Um, in the Before the break, you really spoke powerfully about your background and your experience of trauma. And then you are in this set, then you joined clinical pastoral education uh, in that setting with, that allows you to actually dig deeper. It is an action and reflection model mm -hmm. of care, uh, but also it requires a lot about you, self-knowledge. Mm -hmm. How did that experience help you understand yourself and then what you can offer for the patients, whether in the hospital or in hospice? One of the big things it helped me realize is just to own my story. And in owning my story, um, I know sociology talks about use of self. When you understand your story, then you understand how to relate. So there was times that I would go in and I would see crisis and trauma on a person. And I couldn't say I see crisis and trauma on you. But, <laughs> no. but, I, but because of uh, how, I, how I, I related to it, I would say to them, hey, if I said this to you, if I said... Um, I see you tumbling in the car um, and you look disturbed or distraught. Tell me what that looks like in words or, or just seeing their faces, just making those connections based on where, how I felt. Yeah. A lot of times my story connected to their story, which motivated a conversation from them. Mm. So it looks like your approach to care is deeply relational. Absolutely. But how would you describe your theology of care? The way my faith informs my care of the other is the understanding that everybody has infinite worth. Going back to my encounter with God um, through the when I first encountered him, he showed me what my identity was yeah. in the midst of a difficult moment in an abusive reality. He showed me that my identity was never marred or, or, or tainted and that even at the core of that was that of a, of a, of a little sister of a child. And so it's always that innocence that I walk into yeah. that in the midst of crisis, no matter what's happening, whether it's a psychological um, breakdown or they're going in because there's a, a gunshot wound or something like that, I'm going in recognizing that despite what is physically or, or behaviorally presenting, their worth does not diminish. And there's me that I'm caught as a chaplain to make connections with their through their pain yeah. with their worth yeah both and and not either or it's powerful and the way you speak I can see that you actually love what you're doing oh absolutely <laughs> absolutely <laughs> you love being a chaplain so what is your why why do you love chaplaincy I would have to first say I love chaplaincy and church because they both inform each other and so but 
But one of the reasons why I love chaplaincy is because chaplaincy always calls me to my most intimate self for their most intimate moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it always makes me connect and be aware of who I am and how I am in the moment so that when I go into you know, a gunshot wound or I go into um, a cardiac arrest and family thinks that they just went in for testing and they're literally taking their last breath. I have already processed a lot of my guilt and shame and fears so that I can connect and meet that family in the moment. One of the families that come to my mind is um, was with a situation where walking into a cardiac unit and um, patient um, is with his son and daughter. And I connect and there's just this beautiful sun in the room. I mean, just this beautiful S-U-N just lit up in the room. And it called me in, knocked on the door, said, hey, how's everybody? Um, and he gave me the story that, you know, poor prognosis. Um, and so I connected with him and and, and let him share my his story and then saw um, the son and daughter. And he was like, well, thank you so much for, for your time. Because um, I could tell he was abruptly trying to yeah. get rid of me because um, he was uncomfortable. Yeah. And I said, by all means, um, please know that we're here whenever um, you want us to, to be around. We're here 24-7. Um, and by the way, do me a favor. Um, let your children know who you are and how you think about them. And I said, whenever you get a moment, he said, let's do it now. And I'm, and, <laughs> and so this getaway and leave, I'm done with you, <laughs> spent another 45 minutes where he began to tell his children how proud he was of them. Um, and after we had that conversation, the daughter ran behind me and said, I don't know who you are. Nobody has ever been able to do that to my dad. His pastor left yesterday and never had that context and said, I know he's not going to be here long. Can you be with our family and even consider doing the funeral? Powerful. Yeah. Powerful. It's, it is stories like that that really it provides the gasoline mm -hmm. to keep waking up and to keep going back mm -hmm. to continue doing what you do. Absolutely. It, it touches the family, but it also changes you Absolutely. in a powerful way. And it, and it didn't mean that I had to go in skillful with all this expertise, that I just came in prepared for the moment to let them and the moment dictate where I should go. And I think that is a skill. But Saul, that's the little sister in me. But yeah. I come in full of wonder and curiosity and wanting to, and then I get to ask the question, hey, can you tell your, so just that kid wonder, that yeah. innocence, which, which takes you into a difficult situation with such an ease because I came in yeah. with this kid-like innocence to say, I see something here, just want to touch it. And if you let me, <laughs> we can touch it together. We can play in the sandbox together, right? Yes. That's a powerful posture for pastoral care, in a sense. But it's it's that innocence that helps people connect and bring down their walls so yeah. that when you walk in um, or if they see my badge, you know, um, they see chaplain um, and they start talking about, oh, I don't need a chaplain, blah, 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 blah. And I said, I understand that you may not need a chaplain, but I am so willing to walk your journey to the degree that you allow me mm. simply because you matter. And when I say that, yeah. it changes the game.
So they don't see me as somebody, as a chaplain. They see me as somebody who cares, who happens to be a chaplain. Beautiful stuff. What are your final thoughts? Man, um, that we just get to walk in the grace of who we are. And out of that, touch people on an intimate level. You don't have to perform. Just be you. Know that you are worth so much and you get to connect just out of that. And in knowing who you are and being comfortable in your own skin, you get to reach for someone else because they're, they're who they are and they have worth. So we just connected. Thank you, Monique. Thank you for coming to the studio and having this conversation. I really appreciate it. Man, such a pleasure. You guys are the bomb. That was Chaplain Monique Jones. Thank you for listening. This show was brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. This episode was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting in Julia, Illinois. You can find our podcast everywhere podcasts are available. If you enjoy listening to the show, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com.